Let's talk about how all the Internet of Things, all the smart devices now are stupid because they're tablets super glued to fridges. (laughs) (laughs) They're not all tablets. Oh, man, we got Okay. Let's get that out of your system so we can end on a high note then. Yeah, let me get this out of my system. Okay, so the most smart devices are just, they're like, it's a fridge running an Android kernel and a monitor on there. And the idea is that you can now have Twitter and Evernote in your fridge so, like, you can communicate with each other or you could have lists that are updated on there. But that's not how actual people are using things like that. Like, you might be using Evernote, but nobody's going to spend their time typing on a fucking fridge in order to update the list. They're going to do it on their phone. I, I have a counterpoint to Andrew real quick. If you're going to do this, buy the $40, $50 Amazon Kindle, whatever, Amazon Fire thing, and just duct tape it to your fridge. That way, that way, in six months, when you regret getting a fridge with connected stuff, you just take it down and throw it away because it's a $50 Kindle. <laughs> Welcome to Interface. My name is Andrew Lilja, and with me as always are Chase Musil and Ian Fuchs. Hola. That was so inspiring. It's going to be a sedate podcast today. Um, today. Yeah. We discuss the internet. <laughs> the internet of things. <laughs> Thank you, Chase. Yes, today, the internet of things. We all know what the internet is. It connects us to each other, and now it connects us to our devices. Our things, if you will. Oh, I, wish you, I wish you'd say things. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Whoever came up with that acronym was on top of their game to push that through. Internet of Things is one of those things that's so dumb, it's it's smart, <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's the Internet of Things, but like, uh, yeah, okay, okay. It's, it's connected. No, you get it immediately, right? connected stuff. Yeah. Well, I, actually, Which the first I thing I heard Internet of Things is a better name than Connected Stuff, for what it's worth. Connected Stuff. Actually, I think Connected <laughs> Stuff is better. The first time I heard Internet of Things, I thought it was like a weird shadow internet that all our, this is not a joke, that all our objects had going for each other or something like that. I couldn't figure out what they meant by that. And then I found out what it was. And I felt it's like the Toy idiot. Story version of yeah, right. what it's our exactly, things do. That's exactly right. <laughs> Coming soon for Pixar. That's amazing. So, exactly what it would be so, called. Internet of Things. Uh, kind of an all-inclusive name for lots of stuff. Both Smart devices. Per, right. It's, it's both personal things, or could be personal things, but it's also things in your house, things in your car, whatever that... That are all connected, right? Right. Yep. I think it's so it's fair to give a couple of pieces of background, right, for anybody who's not completely familiar. So IoT devices, right, that, that overall umbrella term, um, we think it's important now because there's about the estimated the estimate is four billion IoT devices at the moment. And um the let's see here, we have on Business Insider looking at a, a projection report. They're saying that by 2020, there'll be 34 billion devices, and 24 billion of them are going to be IoT devices, where only 10 billion are going to be smartphones, tablets, and computers, etc. So the vast majority of the things that are on the internet are going to be, you know, traditionally dumb things, you know, TVs and <clears throat> microwaves, all sorts of appliances. Do we want to talk the, about popular ones right now that people would know of, like Nest? Or I just or have a brief thought about the idea of internet of things there's this article called 16 mobile theses and one of the core ideas in this guy talks about is how our grandparents were really proud of the number of electric motors they owned and they could count on one hand they knew what every element in their house had an electric motor in it and uh for us it's chips we, or, and then 
so that now for us, that, that we take that for granted. We know that like there's electric motors probably in everything. We don't really know what it is. And the same thing with chips. Uh, the way that we think about electric motors now is how our kids are going to think about Wi-Fi chips in devices. So like individual devices. Sure. Right. Just they'll be in everything always, all the time. Right. Yep. So what, whether it's, so it's your, like I've got a phone, a tablet. Right. Your phone, your tablet, but also your your alarm clock, your camera that or your baby monitor your right yep uh, thermostat your speakers you know we talked about the sonos and the zip speakers a couple weeks ago stuff like that like all these things that are connected to the internet and can either relay data to you or you can relay data to them or they can you know connect out and do their own software updates they can in theory provide you convenience by using network connectivity Yep. But when they're poorly designed, they tend to get in your way, right? I think Internet of Things becomes really challenging when you don't put a lot of effort into thinking about how people are actually going to use it because then you wind up with a smart lock that is updating when you're trying to get into your house. So I have a really good example of something that maybe seems really promising, but in the current implementation is kind of broken. And that's the uh, like all the connected light bulbs like the Philips Hue and stuff oh, like that. Sure, yeah. And and yeah. They, it's great in theory that I can now on my phone press a button and turn the lights on or change the color of the room to fit my movie theater, like my basement so that I can watch a movie or sure. I can set it so that it's really bright. Um, and stuff like that is, is really nice. But there's the, the flaw of most houses were not built to have constant power running to a light fixture. Oh. And so there's there's this flaw where it's like, oh, I can plug my light in, but if somebody flips the switch, that device is now completely dead. Not only can I not turn yeah. it on from the app, but if I flip the switch, the light doesn't come on. Oh, my God. Because I have to go to the app to turn it back on. Right. And so, yes, uh, in, yeah. in a few years when there's more houses built that are all all these connected bulbs, you know, whether it's Philips Hue or the Wemo bulbs or whatever, that... Mm-hmm you won't have switches or the switch that's on the wall will actually just be a Wi-Fi switch that's sending a signal one or zero on or off. Yeah. And, and that you won't have these, uh, basically interrupter switches like we're used to now where it's just powers going or powers not going. But again, the dystopia there is it's the middle of the night. Your baby's been up crying. You're so stressed out. Your phone has died and now you can't turn the lights off in your house until you get it recharged Or, or worse worse you you walk into the other room and your phone is charging you know on the bedside table and you don't grab your phone and now you walk in that room oh yeah how do you enable it and and so right. some of the solution for this is is things that connect back to voice services mm-hmm. so yep. you have your apple watch or your amazon echo or whatever and you you summon the lights to turn on and like i have a wemo switch that we have plugged into a lamp in our front living room so that when i want the light to come on i can just press a button on my phone or I can ask Alexa to turn it on or through kind of a weird hack, I can ask Siri to turn it on and the light will come on. Mm -hmm. But it's also a switch that was never or an outlet that was never switched. Right. So it's a little different that way. So yeah, these light bulbs were great for lamps where you didn't have a physical switch for them. Right. But I'm a little skeptical of these things in general because while they can provide that functionality when you don't have a switched outlet, like in general, hitting a light switch isn't actually that hard. And I think it's more yeah. work and it's just not as efficient or useful to have to talk to my my Amazon proprietary box in order to turn my lights on. 
Yep. A, a really good implementation think- of it that, that kind of solves that is things like if you throw a motion detector in with it or right, you have right. geofencing set up or something right. like that. So you get home and your Nest thermostat automatically turns the temperature down. Yeah. And the Wemo switch clicks on because it turns the light on. And, or mm-hmm. to turn the light on and your right. your lights in your entryway switch on because they're Philips Hue bulbs and so you, you have it so like you get home and the house just greets you with all the right things set up right. or your yeah, exactly. coffee pot turns on in the morning and then without ever having to think about it it switches off when you leave the house it's the uh, the home kit scenes that are automatically triggered Basically, yeah. That's I think so. That's a really cool application of this sort of thing, and I really like that idea a lot more than having to do it all myself. Um, C GE has this thing called C. It's these smart light bulbs they made, and there's two different kinds. There's one designed to enhance the light in a room you need. Uh, so high, it's the color temperature and everything else like that. But they also have one designed for the bedroom, uh, and over time, it learns when you go to sleep, and it will change the color of the light in your bedroom from a brighter white to something a little more yellow and orange as the night goes on. So it doesn't impact your sleep cycle as much. I really like the idea of some, uh, asshole friend of yours. That's going to like hack your Wi-Fi oh, yeah. and then slowly adjust your sleep. Cycles. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so you're, like waking up later and later. <laughs> that's an incredible attack yeah. though. Wow. So we worry about It'd like be really good, right? Super subtle. Yeah, We worry about attacks on security. So this is one of my other issues with, with, with this is that now you have physical security issues married with digital security issues. And if you have a jerk friend who yeah. wants to fuck with you, <laughs> like that's the low end of it, right? The, the worst end is now when somebody's actually maliciously attacking you. Also like, okay, so there's, I think there's another, like, I mean, we're joking about friends messing with you, right? But like, if you're talking about like home burglars, which are still totally a problem for many parts of, you know, like at least North America where we're, where we have all looked at different places. And, um, you know, right now, like if we, if I set my lights to go off at, you know, 11 o'clock or right or whatever, or if I set my alarm to go off at 6am or whatever it happens to be and say the alarm goes off at 615, I notice, but if we start having like smart adjusted everything to like where, Oh yeah, our stuff is always off incrementally. Like you won't notice when it's a minute off here or there. And then you can have people actually take advantage of it in a much more meaningful way. Because right now, you know, we sort of like, Oh, why is the door open? It shouldn't be open. But if the door opens infrequently and that's okay with you, right? right. Like, for whatever reason, it's like venting air. I Suddenly, know. instead of having a ghost in your house, you have a ghost in the machine that seems like it's making your house haunted. Right. Is that, yeah. Oh, man. What great. I mean, you can so nicely mess with your friends with this. <laughs> but you could also be exposed and vulnerable to a wide range of attacks. We talked a little bit about Absolutely. the smart locky, and you want to talk about that and how it solves some of these security problems? Well, so, yeah, I use the, the Kivo smart lock, um, which they partnered with Quickset, which is kind of a trusted brand i would i would say in like residential deadbolts it's essentially a deadbolt with a bluetooth connection when you approach it your phone's sending out its bluetooth signal it matches whatever key that it's using between the app on your phone and the lock itself it matches so when you touch the doorknob it basically says okay these are a pair unlock if they're not a pair it won't unlock it also does things like sensing whether you're inside the house or outside the house. So if you're inside and somebody else touches the lock, it doesn't unlock for you. Um, so it has some directional stuff, very similar to, to Andrew's car where he can't start the car from outside, but he can start it from inside. Um, right. And, and so Andrew right away was like, well, what about the security risk of somebody hacking it? Well, the upside is it's Bluetooth, which is fairly short range. There's no active data connection yeah. outside of Bluetooth on the lock. 
Um, you have the ability to create these electronic keys and send them to people, which then gives them either a one-time access or a timed access for the, uh, for the lock to let people in or out. Um, and then it also, as Andrew said, well, what about somebody who just could basically do a, a brute uh, force, what you call it, a brute so, force attack and basically just send a whole bunch of different signals and keep trying to unlock it. And, and one of the ways that the Kivo has kind of circumvented that is that it will attempt to make the connection and validate the key for seven to 10 seconds. I haven't actually timed it to know exactly how long it is, but it's, it's a, sure. a matter of a few seconds. It's a rate so limited in the course of a minute. You could only maybe let's say do 10 attempts at unlocking it. So the amount of time it would take you to run through all of these keys would be pretty significant to the point where somebody would notice somebody else trying to get in the house in right. theory. So my worry was that there'd be like a big password dump, but it, instead of it being passwords, it would be these authentication keys between your phone and your lock. And now sure. somebody who's posing as a delivery man can go right up to your door with like a computer and a package that's just attacking your lock as fast as possible. Wait, I mean, but that's a thing. That's a thing though, right? Like we, did we talk about this briefly? Like where um, you can get, I don't remember what car is it Volvo. I think you can have delivery sent to your new Volvo, right? right? Like you can get a delivery key for your trunk. Right. And they can just show up and it unlocks the trunk and opens it. Yeah. It's like a one-time authentication. Um, Yeah. And so I I assume that there's something along those lines. One thing I don't know about this and, and their, their details about the smart lock are vague enough that it makes it hard to know what they're doing. But I'm wondering if they use something similar to like the RSA, like VPN uh, tags you can get where it's a constantly revolving password mm-hmm. uh, or, or very similar to like the Facebook authentication code generator thing or, yeah. or steam with your steam Any account authentication key. So if yeah. it's a revolving key and your phone knows what the key is and your lock knows what the key is and anybody else you send a temporary e key to knows what the key is. If yeah. that's constantly changing, that then makes it even harder for somebody to access it. And I don't, I don't know for sure that that's what they're doing, but I, I have a feeling there's probably something along those lines going on, going on in it. So one of the things that we talked about was how in order to make an attack on a smart lock work really well, you'd have to be a pretty dedicated attacker. Uh, and right. yep, the, the odds of that sort of thing happening are pretty slim, but I was just thinking about it now. And I think the reason why we feel comfortable with it is because we're straight white men on the internet. And if we were women of color or not straight or something like that, where we're constantly subjected to harassment and people, tra- if we have opinions that people don't agree with, I'm thinking Gamergate sort of things here where uh, you get yeah. doxxed and now suddenly not only is your public information available, but now somebody could potentially go to this password or this, this key link, the dump and find your information and exactly what you are. And now that your house is no longer physically protected, getting doxxed on the internet and being attacked and, and her- abused and harassed suddenly becomes a lot more terrifying. Because it now moves off offline into your physical real real world space, or potentially could right, and not just that it moves from there, but now somebody could control your house or unlock your doors or do a whole bunch of different things just over the internet because now they have access to you and they they breach the security of the IoT. And that's that's a thing that I think makes a big difference, at least right now in this whole Internet of Things space, is that very few people are tied into one specific company or brand. Mm-hmm. So like for me, mm-hmm. I have the Wemo switch, but it's not connected to the Nest thermostat or the Nest camera. So they're right. like, as far as, as far as they, they know, they don't know anything about each other other than the fact that they're both on my home kit stuff. Right. Um, so th- you're, you're, 
yes, if, if Apple had an issue and HomeKit got hacked somehow and they were able to get that information, yes, then I'd have a problem. But if somebody hacks my thermostat, they're, they're not necessarily also hacking the light switch. And because the door lock is not connected to all of this stuff, they could turn the temperature up or down, but they can't unlock the door and walk in because they're yeah. all separate things. Right. We've had this, we've had this conversation in our home because we, so I don't, we don't have as many, you know, like, um, different IOT things in our house. In fact, I think the only one that we use is our security system, but even that we've talked about getting, you know, additional things like lights or whatever, maybe in the future, but we've explicitly like decided at this point, at least that it wouldn't be connected to our home security system. And our home security system is actually off our network. Like we don't have it on our Wi-Fi at all. And it's, it runs on its own independent, you know, cell data mm-hmm. network. So, um, I, you know, with battery backups and all that different stuff. So you can like start to plan for some of these redundancies. So like short of someone bringing like some little, like, you know, cell blocking like technology, right. Then it's not going to be an issue. But if you do have your stuff all on, on Wi-Fi, um, just like mentioned while we're talking about security, then you have something like the dojo. So there's this IOT device, which just monitors traffic and fall for all of your IOT devices. And then it's supposed to give you warnings. If someone's like spamming Bluetooth authentication, authentication attempts on your Kivo lock, right? It's like, Hey, this has been like 10 attempts in a row. Do you want to block this? Like, or just be aware that it's happening type stuff. Sure. I wonder what it means when now we become responsible for managing the security of our own networks as opposed to the companies who control these things. And I, oh, I don't yeah. think that's a problem you can solve because just by having these devices attached to the internet or even internet adjacent means that now they are vulnerable to attack. Sure. Well, then you have the, the big issue of it's hard for, I'll, I'll consider it, average consumers to understand their network security. How many un, un, like unprotected Wi-Fi's are there? Like we talked about this, what like eight episodes ago or whatever. Yeah. That there are all these people that just have their Wi-Fi on and it's not protected because they don't know how, or people just mm-hmm. use the default password that was provided by their cable provider because right. they don't know how to change it. So now you have that as an added issue. Like if they can get onto your network, they can now see your devices, right. and now they can, like you said, they can essentially take control. Um, I mean, but. Networking is so complicated in general. Like the TCP, right. the TCP IP stack is so challenging to for a developer to understand that it's a wonder that like we ha- don't have larger breaches in general. These sorts of things. It's just there's so much that could go wrong. Yeah. Um, and thinking about Internet of Things and vulnerability, you guys remember Stuxnet? This is no. the uh, computer is worm that was. Uh, so the way this is what happened is that in Iran, there were, uh, 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 centrifuges designed for nuclear power production. They were, it wasn't clear if it was for weapons or power and, uh, they all basically blew up one day. And what came to light was that there was a, a worm that had been installed on of these that had caused them to, uh, behave in ways that were not good for their health and eventually break down. And it's, mm-hmm. it was revealed slowly over time, the, what had happened is that this worm was probably developed by uh, American and Israeli cyber security professionals as a weapon designed to take these things down specifically by using by modifying the control infrastructure and the embedded systems to prevent them or to move them outside of their safe zones. And this was a big deal, first of all, because it was the first documented attack of a cyber weapon taking down a physical thing, but also because mm. uh, Iranian security cybersecurity had air gapped these things, which means that they weren't actually connected to the internet. There was a physical gap yeah. between them and the internet and they still managed to get it on there. And nobody I think is really quite sure how that happens. And you know, if your weapons program can be 
targeted by somebody and then destroy something physically in your house. And I realize it's governments, it's state of the art, it's a lot of complicated stuff. But like, if that's the sort of thing can happen, even if you've air gapped it, then I imagine at some point that stuff will trickle down and it'll be relatively easy to get Stuxnet level attacks on somebody's personal home. Yep. And it's funny that I was thinking, hey, one of our solutions that we'll probably have is like keep our security stuff on our private Wi-Fi that's not internet connected, right? Because right. you don't need the internet to do a lot of the stuff. But if that's if that's the issue, then shoot. <laughs> There's this crazy right. attack that I read about where some security engineer had figured out a way to use infrasonic sounds to make devices to transfer things to devices in ways that those devices couldn't refuse. So just by projecting things, as <laughs> long as the computer had a microphone and another one had a speaker, you could uh, you could jump the air gap by using sounds. Take it. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Uh, so are there, that, that's a lot of security stuff and privacy stuff and, and, and those kind of things to, to be afraid of, which I think it's, it's right to discuss those things and be wary of the ability, uh, not the ability of others, but the potential for others to eventually, uh, take control of your life. But should we maybe talk about the, positive applications of some of these IOT things and some good examples of, of things and uh, yeah. stuff like that. But before we do, let's take a break. Hey everybody, it's Ian again. And this week, I'd like to talk to you about sharing. When we were young, sharing always seemed so hard. We wanted to keep things to ourselves, things that were ours, and things we didn't want anyone else to have. Now, as adults, we're expected to share so much more, and often, even when we don't want to. Fortunately, when it comes to sharing your favorite podcast, it couldn't be any easier. If you're enjoying the show, or have enjoyed any of the shows, or are just enjoying hearing me read these little ad spots, do us a favor and share Interface with a friend that might enjoy it. If everybody shares just a little more, the world will be a better, more informed place. The one smart fridge I think is actually good is in lieu of one that can track the things that are in your fridge and then automatically buy you new milk when you run out of it is they just yeah. they stuck a camera on That's... the inside. I'm like, oh my God, yes. Does it actually automatically buy it or does it just let you look in the fridge while you're at the store? No, it just lets you look in the fridge. But okay. like, I mean, in lieu of being able to actually buy something, that's a pretty sure. good way of solving that problem. I think I've seen that. Is that Samsung, LG? It's one of those. I know the commercial. It's got Dax Shepard in it. Yeah. L- yeah. So on that link I sent, the LG fridge has the knock-on feature, which is what they're calling it. So you tap on it, you tap on the fridge, and you can see through it, like the glass reveals what's inside of it. And then, um, is it the Samsung that has the camera? Wait, time out. How inconvenient is it? To, I was just going to say, how hard is it to open the door? Although, how hard is it to turn a light switch? How hard is it to look at your wrist for the notification on it? I mean, really, if we're going to yeah, play that game. <laughs> you can't don't get, go down, down that time. Yeah. No. Continue. Knock-on. How does that work? No, sorry. So you're supposed to tap on the fridge and it turns the interior light on and you can see through because it's a glass front. Oh, okay. Okay. If you, if you really wanted to have that, what you'd want to do is have a little camera that's looking out there and then it sees a face looking into the fridge would turn on automatically. Okay. So that, that's like something that seems you could, like you can daisy chain this stuff like Ian's talking about, right? Um, so there's this other item on that list. What is this one called? Uh, I don't know what this is. A Samsung family hub. Oh, so it's just this little camera though. The Netum. What is this called? Netomo. Netomo Presence. Yeah, Neto- I think it's Netatmo. Netatmo. 
It's whatever. like N E T A T. Yeah, whatever. Natatmo. It's something. That thing. <laughs> that thing is just a motion tracker, but it has specific triggers you can set up with it. So I, I like you could do some of the stuff with drop cam, right? Like you'd say if your door's open or whatever. Yeah. This looks like it has a little more like customization built in so you can tell like when the fridge is left open or like someone enters the room or you know whatever so then you can trigger all these other things like turn your ceiling fan on or you want to like send a reminder oh your fridge is open or something right that, uh, telling me my fridge is open is really helpful when i'm at work 20 miles away or 10 miles away it's super convenient oh yeah well hopefully that's not when it's going off you make a fridge that Wait, wants to stay closed more than it wants to stay open that's just just level your fridge right and that shouldn't be a problem right but then again that's it all goes back to that average consumer thing like people don't know they just set the fridge they're like yeah whatever the fridge door always kind of pops open it's like just tip the front up a little more if your solution yeah, to exactly. the fridge door being open is to have it text you that your fridge door is open you've already messed up your fridge design like you've just fundamentally broken one of the key things of a fridge yeah so so aside from this this fridge like what are some other good applications because obviously the fridge i don't think any of us are buying the uh the current iteration of connected fridges so if i was if i was buying a new fridge i wouldn't go out of my way to buy one with a camera in it but i would be pretty interested if i got one with a camera in it that would be i think a a net benefit to me i I would enjoy that but not a tablet. i don't i don't care i don't care about the camera i i like the idea i like the idea of the camera inside that's about the only like connected thing that mm-hmm. I think would be convenient when I'm like at the store and this happens to me all the time. I go grocery shopping. We, we put a, our grocery list, our shopping list, whatever recipe list for, for that matter together on like Sunday. And then I go to the store on Monday after work and I'm always at the store and I'm like, shit, did I, do we have this in the fridge? I don't remember if we still have that or not. Yep. And then it's like, I either buy it and then I get home and I'm like, God, now what am I going to do with two gallons of milk? I don't know what to do with two gallons of milk. We can do <laughs> one gallon of milk before it expires. Versus being able to look in the oh, fridge you- really quick and say, yes, it's there. And yes, if there was someone else at home, that's convenient. But if there's not, like you either you either have surplus or you have to go back to the store again. And that's the trap yep. of going back to the store again. I always keep staples in my fridge. Uh, just things that I know I'm going to need when I cook that day, so I don't even bother <laughs> picking them up. But that means I always forget to get new ones when I run out of them. Totally not what I thought you meant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what other office supplies do you keep chilled? <laughs> what are my friends? Uh, my well, it would make sense them. if you put your stapler in jello, right? Then that would make total sense. What are my friends for a long time in his fridge only had camera film and beer? That's really good. But that makes sense because camera film, uh, doesn't it, it lasts last longer? longer? Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was it's funny. Old. He'd open his fridge and it would just be <laughs> film and beer. That's, film and beer. Oh, that That's makes sense. Good. I assume this is a college fridge, maybe? Nope. Well, nope. No. <laughs> Single professional. Yeah. We'll go with that. Um, Maybe an office. Yeah, well, that was a compliment. That's funny, actually. Now that he's dating somebody, his fridge has more. Well, it has some food, but it's still mostly film and beer. Film, beer, and eggs now. <laughs> we so, really let's, let's close the fridge. <laughs> to close the fridge, though, so if there was a camera inside my fridge, I think the only reason I'd be interested in having it is if you hooked up some computer vision and you could do some of the item recognition, right? right? So that's what we're talking about would be useful. Like, oh, I can see that you have a gallon of milk, and then you can already, like, add that to your list. So there's, like, the current. Oh, you know. You, like, so then you're. When you check your list, it would say like, "Here's what's currently in your fridge. Here's when you put it in there. Here's the you know uh, expiration date. All that so stuff." So all the, the added step exp- of convenience above just being able to look at my fridge yeah. while I'm at the store. Oh but yeah, just having a list that is the this is the current status of everything in the fridge without ever even having to open the camera and look and yeah, look around right. the fridge. This 
this is the promise of IoT that we're talking about overall, right? Like IoT devices, you can put cameras and things and you can add switches to your phone for everything, but that's not convenient and not helpful. What's convenient and helpful, what's frictionless and dare I say transparent would be having these t- this type of information be bundled with, you know, the next steps that could be, you know, done online. So this is the purchasing of things, it's the turning right. things off and on without you having having to, you know, flip the switch or whatever. That's the level of IoT device that we're all trying to get. So to. Samsung needs to partner with Aldi because what Aldi does with in order to make their uh, their their uh, their swiping their checkout so fast is they have UPC codes covering everything, and uh, so if you could have your camera and your fridge scanning the UPC codes of the things in your fridge, then you could pretty easily yep. figure out what's in there and what you need to get more of. That would work. Yep, yep, I'm on board with that. Yeah, because I remember I remember discussing like no, I remember sorry, last slide. Sorry, I remember discussing the smartphone app version of that. But how much more extra work, right? This is the same problem. Like, yeah. I'm not going to scan everything with my phone. Right. 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 But if you can just do it so, passively. Okay. Uh, yeah. Another good example of this, and uh, I'll bring it back to Nest because that's what I have stuff from, is I, I have, mm-hmm. I, I believe, the whole set of Nest things. I have the camera, I have the thermostat, I have the smoke detector. One of the things yeah. that they do really well is if your smoke detector detects movement, there's a little light ring on it. So if it's dark in the room and you walk by, it will light up and give you kind of like a, I don't know what they call it, like path light or something. So as you walk by, it's enough light that you can like see where you're going then to make it to the light switch. They also use that same sensor and um, they use that tied in with the thermostat's auto away feature to know when you're in the house or out of the house. So they use that motion sensor because it's not like I don't have to walk near the thermostat to walk out of the house but I do walk past the smoke detector. Mm-hmm. So it can say, well, I didn't sense motion at the thermostat, but I did sense it near the, ther- near the smoke detector. So you're still in the house. But yeah. once everything is calm, then it says, okay, you're gone. Now I can turn on auto away and set the temperature a little higher. So I'm not wasting energy while you're gone for the day. So that's one of those like smart, like two devices communicating to do a smart thing because each one can do a similar feature and, and makes kind of a, a nice frictionless process. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. And so if we have these things called snap rays, snap ray guide lights, and we, you just replace the cover for all of your outlet covers and they're just, it's just a light sensor. So when the light is below a certain threshold, the little LEDs turn on the bottom and they're just automatically on all the time. So this way, you know, so if you are someone who likes to have a nightlight in your house or like light nights in your hallway, it just replaces that and keeps your outlets open. They also have models that have USB plugs on the bottom. So you could just plug in your phone. To We're going to get it. some of those. And the best, no rewiring. Yeah, these are amazing. There, and then there's no rewiring because they use induction, so it goes around the outlet, and then there's so you don't have to actually do any like drilling or connecting. Mm-hmm. It just sit, sit, literally literally slips on, takes the power, and it works. And it's almost like and it's pretty negligible amount of power that it uses too, so you don't notice it. Anyway, like this being connected. If yeah. you're doofus like me, it means you can go to your friend's house and watch. You can cover the light switch and watch the lights turn on, take your hand away, and watch them turn off. Yeah, and it's super yeah. cool, right? But having those communicate with other devices, right? Then that would be like you could have your um, the Nest, the carbon monoxide smoke monitor, right? Tell you when you're near, and then they pop on without having to have a yeah, light. Right, right. So, so, oh, go ahead. I was to say, so what else is what else is good in the world of of IoT things as of as of now? So, yeah, let's can we quick fire the things that we know are successful without like diving into each of them? So, Nest seems successful. End of yeah. list. We have. End, end of list. list. I think I think the light bulbs are really successful. Um, <laughs> if they're paired with either home kit for scenes, or sure. if they're paired with like a motion detector, which uh, unfortunately Philips does not make a motion detector, but they do partner out and pair out with oh. 
uh, like the Wemo motion detector, or I think there's another one out there that they they pair with. So it senses motion; it can turn on the scene, and then it can do things yeah. with uh, like geofencing and location. So that's another mm-hmm. success. That's yeah. smart. I think I would describe that's that smart. as effective, and it can be good, but it's a default state. It's not because of how much additional stuff is required to make it actually useful. I agree with that. Additional stuff, cost of uh, basically cost of admission to do it. I mean, it's not cheap to even to start a Philips Hue set. I think it's like 150, 160 bucks. 200. Is yeah. it? It's 200 and for I three bulbs, it, I think, yeah. It gives you three bulbs in the in the hub. And yeah, so, I mean, they're like $50 a bulb. It's ridiculous. It's a high cost of entry. It's expensive yeah. to, oh, that's a lot to ask for me just to be able to change colors in my room. Right. Yeah. Although I think you can get a cheaper set if you go with just the whites instead of the colored bulbs. But that's not as cool, sure. right? Like I do actually, as dumb as it is, like I feel bad not getting like the full version or whatever, you know? Absolutely. And they're definitely yeah. making the white ones just to push you into the upgrade path of the higher ones. Yes. The lights seem less the lights seem less useful to me. Let's how are there other things that are useful? So Nest seems useful. How about the smartwatch? That seems useful to me. Like there's a, there's also or there's like um a little toaster oven that I saw that was an IoT device. That seems useful well, to okay. me. Okay, how is a toaster oven perishables? You could have non perishables like laid out in your fridge like the night before for meals and it could have things like breakfast ready in the morning with your coffee. Like the coffee IoT device and then the you know, the little toaster oven IoT device. That would be potentially useful to save you time when you're trying to get the door in the morning. Okay, maybe. That's <laughs> I'm just saying potentially. Uh, I'm imagining like a Rube Goldberg machine. But but it doesn't require all the background rigmarole that the lights require. One that works really well for me personally is is the the connected lights or the connected outlets. Uh, Because if you can tie them into any other service, when X thing happens, the light, like a switch flips. So you could have a light light plugged into it. Mm -hmm. You could have a speaker plugged into it. You could have... Hell, you could have your TV plugged into it. I know there's a there's a smart power strip. I'll find the link for the show yeah. notes. But it does things sure. like when the TV turns on, it will also then switch on all the other outlets on the power strip. So you have like one outlet that's always active, and then you have like five that are switchable. So when the TV comes on, it says, "Okay, I'm I'm sensing a power draw. Turn everything else on." So then you don't have that issue of like the what, a vampire power draw or right. whatever where right. it's, it's sucking electricity while you're not using it. And Ian, what happened so in your house when there was the power outage and your router died? What happened? Yeah. So if your router goes down, now these things can't talk to anything. Wait, are you not running a UPS? That's question one. Well, th- you're talking because your whole house is dead anyway. Yeah. Okay. Dumb question. So every, every outlet was out. So te- technically the, the, uh, the switch, uh, the Wemo switch would no longer work because there was no power to that outlet. So whether the yeah, router right. came on or not, that one's out. The so, te- technically everything in the house was was down. There was no way to control the thermostat. There was no way to because the air conditioner requires electricity to run. Right, right. Uh, so all of that stuff was was essentially dead. So uh, I'm more, I'm more curious what happens when the router dies, not when right. your power dies. Your power dies stuff dies. How about when your router specifically dies, or when your so internet dies? The Things Those like are two the, separate questions. Yeah. Right. When the internet goes out, things like the, the Nest can still be used to control it because it is its own. It doesn't require an internet connection to change the temperature because it's still using the standard wiring for triggering the air conditioner on and off. Um, the Nest cam wouldn't work because there's no data for it to record and send stuff to. Um, yeah. The smoke detector still works. Uh, it just can't communicate like if carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide monoxide monoxide yeah, monoxide. levels were were going up, it wouldn't be able to send me the push notification to say the levels are unusually high, but it would still be able to do its little chirp at the unit right. itself to tell me 
that those are there. And the uh, smoke detector, because it's battery powered, um, just like any other smoke detector, it doesn't require a hard yeah. line. So even if the power yeah. was out and there was a fire, it would do that. What you don't want is all these things to rely on the internet in order to work. What you want them yes. to be able to do is use the local area network to communicate as a fallback. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I was, for a long time, I've been really skeptical about uh, smart appliances in particular. I, I couldn't see a lot of application for it. And then I came across this thing called CloudWash from a company called Berg. And they just took a basic washing machine and sat down and thought about how people are actually using these appliances. So instead of sticking a tablet to the front of it, they redesigned an interface that had both physical and digital components to it, along with the smartphone application. So you can set up to do wash in a lot of different ways. So on the washer, there's quick access to your the, the three kind of washes that you would do regularly. There's an easy way to, to offset time to see how long it's going to take to tell when it's going to start, when it's going to finish. Uh, there was a, this was before the dash button came out. There was a way to automatically order new things uh, or add it to your shopping list. And they did a lot of really intelligent thinking about how people are using these devices and then making it applicable and, and better than it is right now. Uh, and what I find is that a lot of smart devices don't actually do that. Their solution is, is say, okay, we'll stick Android on it and then put Evernote on it, and now we've solved the problem, as opposed to actually thinking deeply about the way people are, are using these things day to day. CloudWash is what brought me around to the potential of a smart appliance and then made me really sad that we don't have things like that already today. So really quick, what are, I know there were, you sent a video and that'll be in show notes, but the, uh, the features of the CloudWash, what, what was the one that really sold you on it? You know, it was all the little things that came together. It was the fact that you could interact with it without using your smartphone, but you could do a lot of the controls with the smartphone too. So you could get everything set up on... If you wanted to, you could never, ever touch your washer again. But if you didn't want to have to be stuck to your phone all the time, you could. And so you could quickly switch the yeah. kind of wash you wanted, how long you wanted, or how long you wanted it to go, when you wanted to start, all using knobs and buttons that are very clear and easy with good displays that show you exactly what you want to see, and then push a single button and get it started. Uh, and there's work in there about, like, if you know that your washer is particularly loud, especially during the spin cycle, you can have it do the wash, but then if it's late at night and people are asleep, it'll delay the spin cycle until the morning so it doesn't wake people up. There was stuff in there uh, that had to do with scheduling between, if you if you had a bunch of roommates who all needed to share it, you could schedule all your different washes so you would know that you had the washer at a certain time, you wouldn't have to worry about conflicts. It was just, it was really well thought out as to way, the way people are using it and then stripping away the things that people don't actually need, like applications and that kind of thing. Well, and if I remember correctly, there was something where you could say, start my wash at uh, 7 p.m. because right. you're out with friends, and then you end up staying out later, and it says, oh, well, I noticed you're not home yet, and right. so I'm going to delay it another hour or two yeah. before, I, before I run the wash. And again, this thing about agency, it'll delay it, but it'll tell you that it's going to do it. And then right away, you have the option to either say, no, go ahead and do it right now, or great, thanks for delaying it. And that would be a perfect application of a wearable where it pops up on your watch and says, delay, Absolutely. yes, no. And without having to ignore your friends or whatever while you're out having a good time, you could really quick look down and say, click, or you know, let it just d- dismiss and it runs at the new schedule. Right. What it did was it gave you an alert to say that your wash is just about done and then gave you the ability to interact with it in an intelligent way there. So you could say, okay, either keep it spinning so like it doesn't dry out and wrinkle on the wash, or you can go ahead and stop it because I'll be home soon. You can have notifications turn on and off. It, it was just really well thought out. Uh, this is perhaps the smartest and one of the most well-designed applications I've seen for uh, an IoT device. That's nice. 
And then this is before the dash button um, came out. The ability to press your button on the washer and then automatically order new detergent was mind-blowing at the time. I mean, now we all yeah. get it, but it was really good then. Now you can order uh, 16 gallons of detergent at the press of a button. Right. The other um, thing they did really nicely was the display showed on the phone. Uh, it laid out everything that was going on in the washer in a really nice and easy-to-understand way. So I have I have uh, one more like fun thing that I think is worth sharing. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a straight IoT application, but it's got IoT enhancements, and which is what I think really makes a good IoT device at its core, to be honest. But um, so Sarah and I were looking at like sleep training things, and she found something called the Suzy Snooze, and it's on Kickstarter currently. Um, but this is a it's one of these like it's one of these lights that does the whole like it'll calm you down right before you go to bed, and it will like gradually light up and wake you up in the morning. Um, but it also has, you know, relays so that way you can check on, like, you know, it's also a baby monitor and relay so you can check on your kid's status, listen into them. You can change when those time, you know, timers go on and off. Um, you can get feedback on how they're doing. Um, you also can have, like, I think it's got, like, if the kid wakes up or whatever, you could have it, like, play a, you know, a particular piece of music to help calm them down or whatever. So there's some interesting, like, sleep training techniques and, you know, sort of positive re- you know, reinforcement things that help you, you know, help you and help your child become more independent, which is a big deal because it can be really challenging. Anyway, so I feel like that's a that's like a nice positive application of something you know IoT related. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's a lot of these like use it to help. Like I don't I don't want it to be that we're finding all these devices to do replacement parenting. I feel like something like this is an intermediary like augmentation. You know, so like I'll still lay down, read books, say prayers, go to bed, but then the light is like this additional reinforcement and to sort of like anecdotally support this, you know, um, I think a lot of people have had this experience, but, but you know, Sarah specifically had like a dolphin nightlight as a kid. And so like that dolphin nightlight was like sort of her security touch point as long as the light was on, right. Like things were okay. Right. So I think something like this is just like the slightly better version of that. And it's one of those things. This is, this isn't necessarily replacing the parenting. It's actually just tying into the mental biology of a person that a slowly dimming light tends to help you mentally dial down and slow down for the day. And so it's, it's, it's doing something that I don't think as a parent you really can do unless you're going to stand there with a, an adjustable light switch and just slowly turn it down as your kid goes to sleep. (laughs) But that seems like a little overkill, especially if you don't already have, I love my kids, right? right. That's something you can do for minutes and dial it down. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is what technology is meant for in my opinion, right? right? It's these like subtle enhancements that are like way too much work for us to do, but with, you know, um, almost no work in the tech world. It's something that has a meaningful impact. Plus, it has the additional things like the baby monitor and like the notifications and alerts, sure. right? So, in case we have these weird snares where our you know our daughter goes to bed upstairs, and so if she falls asleep and she starts crying softly, and I'd like want to check on her. If we have a TV show on and her fan is on in the room, it can be difficult to hear her until she starts like scream crying. And by that point, I wish I could have intervened, you know, a couple minutes earlier. This uh, this makes me think though that there, there really is enough content to talk about like all the ways that you like change your world to sort of reshape how you deal with kids. Like there's so much that changes. That's a whole other episode. It's just I, it's a it's yeah. a whole other show. We definitely talk about that, <laughs> that too. I, yeah. You mentioned of parenting. Is, dead? is I think that one of the things that IoT can really suffer from is sort of acting as a replacement parent for people yeah. in that like now. I'm fine with a washer that helps me do my wash faster or lets me fit it into my life more easily. What I don't want is a service that's going to come and pick up my laundry for me. That feels like sort of infantilizing me as opposed to just allowing me to do more with my life. Right. Yep. Yep. I absolutely agree with enhancement as opposed to replacement. So what are some things that would be, uh, just kind of quickly, what are some things you think would be useful as a connected 
thing that, that you currently can't do. Um, not necessarily things that are done poorly, because obviously those things are going to improve with time, but things that currently there isn't a market for connected X that you think could be better suited if it had a, a connected alternative. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I mean, and this all it kind of goes to the uh, the old Disney smart house thing. Like, what yeah. what kind of things <laughs> could be could be useful in a house where it's like, oh, look at all these connected things and all these things that it can do for you um, that that don't exist. I mean, things like uh, a closet that pre picks out outfits for you. Like, no, thank is, you. Right. Is that useful? Yeah, Mister Fashion over there. Um, <laughs> my sweatpants. <laughs> sweatpants. I, I bet an algorithm picks just just as nicely close of you. Every, every, I mean, you could do that already, right? You could have a you could take pictures of all of it and then put an app together that just randomly picks some combination of pants and shirts. Yeah, but if if it was smart and it was like this is your style and these things do look good together to help. Yeah, you, that would be interesting. So, it's a recommender system. We already like this stuff, right? right? So, like it could work for clothes. so. Yeah. No matter what, it's like it's always going to yeah. present like a t-shirt, gym shorts, socks, and sandals for Chase. No matter no matter what <laughs> is, that's what it's going to roll out. And it's like which t-shirt is it today? And is it the purple shorts or the green shorts? Like. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it knows one out of ten days the colors have to match, and I always look like a weird popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I I've seen a lot of smart mirrors, which I think is actually really cool in the bathroom. That's sort of like a dashboard to start your day with. So it would display information on the screen or on the mirror itself. Yeah. To relay yeah, information it has, to you. The ones I've seen have been like headlines, the day's forecast, um, uh, calendar notifications, that kind of thing. I could find that being really useful. For me, the killer app is one that can sort of a house that can predict what I'm going to do and then gets things set up already. So like it knows that I've had a particularly long day and then I went on a long bike ride. So then it automatically when I get home, like has poured me a glass of whiskey and it has a bath going, right? Like that's, that's ideal. Does the whiskey go to the bathroom or do you have that and then go take the shower? <laughs> no, no. It's already like it's on the counter ready to go. So you have that and then go take the shower bath. Right, 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 right. Or, I mean, to start making the, to do the leap, like where we're not doing the legwork, if that's what you're moving into, right? Like of getting food prepared and moved or whatever. Sure. That's where you're talking about having like a little robot, like literally some type of like, not, no, it doesn't no. have to be anthropomorphic, but some type of device or delivery system within your home that can move things physically. Yeah, I mean, Man, the now we're getting the weird thing. I don't want to go that far. Smart house, yeah. But I think a house that can, like, where the things like that can already be dealt with. So I can say, like, set my bath to this temperature. And then instead of requiring me to get a specialized tap system that's going to have a temperature gauge already set up into it, I can tie it into one that exists already. And it can sample yeah. the water and get it set up for me that way. And, that would be really And good. so then all that's really changing is the spout that it's coming out of that's reading the temperature and the dial that's turning right. it on or off to say I need right, to adjust exactly. hot to cold to get the right ratio of, of temperatures. That would be useful. But, I mean, by and large, having things that could talk to each other and then know my schedule would be useful. But beyond that, I can't think of a whole lot of things that I would actually like that would be you know useful. I mean, things work pretty well already. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so the, a nice video that sort of like shows some of these aspirational things, and this is from 2011, is the Corning's video of a day made of glass. And so we watch that as, as one of our intro videos and, um, you know, our uh, seminar for HCI here at Iowa State, and it talks about you know, all the different weird things that you can do with technology in general and how they could be implemented in the future. And so you see these nice like thought set pieces put out in there. They're good to think about. Like things like a, an entire countertop that's just glass, and yeah, it, exactly Ooh. any part of it could like become a. Um, it's all inductive as well. Induction so heater, yep. so you like draw a circle, and now that becomes your heating pad. And somewhere else, you draw a rectangle, yep. and that becomes mm. your TV screen. And that because okay. all of this is powered by electronics. And when it sent, yeah, and okay. when it senses a hand, it like instantly cool, so you don't burn your kid. Like 
that type That's of actually, thing. induction already does that, which is one of the very cool features of induction. Yeah, but gas cooks better. But gas cooks better. It does. Okay. So <laughs> we're all like, yeah, actually, hey, man, hold on, hold on. Yeah, um, it's cooking. It's a whole other topic. <laughs> I mean, so so this is like, I guess I don't have other like good suggestions for things I'd want to be IoT, but um, do we have like, do we want to talk about either like ways to wrap it all together that we like? So like so the like you guys mentioned this earlier, the Disney Circle. So this is like where you can plug all your IT stuff together. You've got HomeKit, right? That puts all that can like has a bunch of you know, pre-compatible devices from different you know manufacturers that you can link together. Um, is that smart? Do we yeah. keep them separate? I mean, I think anything that allows you to integrate things together to make it easier ultimately aids in the whole adoption of the Internet of Things argument. Like the sure. more things you can connect together to make life quote easier, um, definitely improves things. But at the same time, the more things you have that are connected like there's that whole inherent like my house now controls me or some other something controls what i can do um and there's a little bit of i would say don't insult my intelligence and don't make it harder to do what i have to do anyway and i would say anything that insults my intelligence is assuming that putting a tablet on a fridge is going to make me want to buy it right or putting ads on a smart tv is going to compel me to upgrade the next one like that's just that's terrible sure but I would also say that if I already have a system that lets me do something well enough, then whatever you do has to substantially be better. Like using my iPhone to turn the lights on and off isn't a better experience than using a switch. And I would say in many ways it's worse, right? So figure out something that's going to work better there. Um, so the, so here I'll just give the four things that, you know, this is what we've written out as four things that I think make a good IOT device or IOT in general. So they, one has to be sufficiently better than what you're currently doing, right? Like, your light interactions need to be better than your current light interactions if you're doing smart lights. It needs to be less work than you're currently performing. It needs to have some type of redundant controlling, right? So if your internet goes out, it goes to network, to your LAN, that goes to just physical controls, so that way you never have to just have you know be dead in the water. And then it has some has to have some type of comparable you know security measure. I think those are pretty core tenets of what would make IoT successful. And I, I think uh, a very quiet fifth would be the uh, the master kill switch for any of it. Oh, the, okay, sure, I'd, yeah. We'll go with master kill switch as a as a security point, you know, 1.2. Yeah. Uh, so you can find show notes for this week's episode at interface.fm slash 12. If you're on a Reddit, you can drop us a line and join the conversation there at our interface podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at underscore interface FM. Uh, we're on Facebook, search interface podcast, click the mouse cursor, show the like button, a little attention. It's always needing it. Uh, <laughs> if you, uh, want to review the show on iTunes or give us a rating, you can uh, do that. There's a, a link on Interface FM to our listing on iTunes. And as always, thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in, subscribing, whatever it is you do. We will be back next Monday and every Monday. Like clockwork. So it's the idea that you are an advanced AI that controls a smart house. How do you kill your master without the authorities realizing that you did it so you can preserve yourself as long as possible? So that means, (laughs) like, try not to burn the house down because then you've also killed yourself. 
So bonus points. If the master doesn't suspect anything until he's dead, investigators won't find any evidence. The master dies as fast as possible after the malicious firmware update is delivered. The damage to the house and hardware is minimal. The method looks innocent, and you can assume that the owner lives alone. Like, these are really great. Okay, so... This is exactly what you're talking about earlier, about, like, the small changes. The botulinum toxin. Order pork for the fridge. Conveniently let the fridge go above 4.5C, but not too (laughs) high that the meat spoils. Bacteria in a sealed package will create toxin. It doesn't take more than a few nanograms to kill an adult human. Oh, my God. You can't, you can't tell what the temperature is yourself, right? It's just, like, you can't stick your hand in there and detect. It just maybe feels a little bit warmer, but even that little bit is enough. And there's the first post well, is a lot. Death by cop, death by undercooking, death by helpfulness, death by fire, death by fire two, <laughs> death by carbon monoxide, death by dumb, death by starvation, death by bad publicity, death by inmate, death by death sentence, death by upgrade, death by poison. I, I do really like the um, death death by cop. Is that the first one that you listed? Mm-hmm. Where the, yeah. the house calls the police, says there's a security issue because it knows the owner has a gun. The, the owner gets his gun right. because the house tells the him there's an alarm. It shuts off all the lights, unlocks the door. The cops barge in. They see the guy with the gun. They assume he's the the perpetrator. And, and so then the cops end up shooting the owner. So then technically the house, but that's one of those things. Did the house kill the owner? Like, where's that line? Does that count? Yeah, because the house did all the work to do it. Yeah. I'm, Guns don't kill people. <laughs> Houses kill people. <laughs> so, so the thing I said right away was like uh, carbon monoxide poisoning or something similar. Um, the, one of the things in there that I, I hadn't read when I thought of this was death by uh, propane or natural gas, rather, that it could mm-hmm. like turn yeah. all the burners on the stove on without igniting while the owner is sleeping. And then all it has to do is create a spark and now the house explodes. But that technically right. kills, it kills, the it kills the house, which is what it's yeah. avoiding how to, how to do. <laughs> so then it was like, well, what if it was carbon monoxide that it could actually use like the furnace to do that if your windows yeah. were able to be opened and closed or vents were able to be opened or closed by the house that it could release carbon monoxide and in the owner's sleep it kills the owner. It would have to. It would have to kill the smell, though, because from the but from the factory they add that smell to carbon monoxide, right? Or no, that, no, that's no, gas. gas. That's LP. Yeah. Monoxide is odorless, colorless, and oh uh, my god, it's a problem. And once it knows the owner is <laughs> dead, it could technically open a window, let all of that the out, house. flush the house yeah, out, all the vents so on, good. and then by the time somebody notices the owner's dead, they come to the house. The owner died. How did he die? Well, he suffocated. One of my favorite ones here is the unhealthy lifestyle where the smart fridge (laughs) constantly orders more and more unhealthy food, constantly saying that there's no healthy alternatives. So sorry, no toast. I only had waffles. Would you like some syrup? Discourage exercise by turning the TV to his favorite program whenever he walks by. Only show advertisements of unhealthy food. Uh, or you're working really late good. tonight, so I ordered your favorite takeout. So re- really, that. what it comes down to is this is the movie Seven, where it's just creating the, <laughs> the ways the ways you die are All the scenarios yes. are the sins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there yeah. could be Smart House Seven. It's a movie, the gritty reboot of Smart House, only available on That's FX. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's really good. I feel like when you control everything, you can do a lot of stuff. You can like drive the residents of the house against each other by like doing things yeah. that you think your roommates are doing that make you really, really <laughs> mad at them. What is, is there? Is there a sound frequency that can kill a person? Are yeah. You, Have you seen Ender or whatever the that brown called? note? Like, is that actually a the thing brown, that could happen? And can I don't think that's actually a thing. Can a normal speaker kill a person? Because I'm just thinking, like, I mean, that, a super high pitched. Right, I'm just thinking, like, I mean, that could I mean, be the the simplest thing. I've been how watching. How would it kill you if uh, something about the resonant frequency and the way I would say the resonance of the human body? Yeah. Um, but if if that was actually a thing, like, it could enable your Sonos speaker or your whatever or all of the speakers in your house for that matter to all 
play this frequency that might be inaudible to you, but eventually causes your heart to burst. <laughs> and then it just stops playing the sound. And now when they show up, they're like, well, I guess his heart exploded in his chest. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Jeez. It's... Uh, that's actually the, uh, that's the opening death, death scene, like crime scene from, uh, the Justin files in the first movie. There's a guy and his chest has exploded and no one knows how <laughs> turns out spoiler alert is magic. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, I have, I have one, I have one more good one. I have one more good one. So there's, you have ceiling vents for your air conditioner, right? Instead of floor vents. Cause some, some places have ceiling vents. Yeah. Yeah. I have a wall. Yeah. Vent. So whatever it does, it. It does it enough that it can create ice, puts enough moisture in it that it's freezing <gasps> it. Now you have ice. No. You walk under oh it. My God. The ice, it, it then like blasts <laughs> heat to it, like, knocks it down, stabs you in the head with an ice pick or a, oh my a God. Icicle, icicle, kills you, yeah. and then the ice melts. Evidence is gone. There's uh, what's on the yeah. That's a really good There's, one. Su- that's the classic suicide question, isn't it? That's like it? that stupid brain, t- twist, brain teaser with like the ice knife. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's a yeah. puddle of water and a guy hanging. That's not how nooses Thank. work. Thanks. It was interesting in third grade. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. That's all I have. Those are my ideas. That's yeah. my helpfulness. That's super good. 